This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Hello, friends, and welcome back. Today I'm going to continue my talk about how Olga and I were led by Jesus in a time of hardship a few years ago. Today I'll be talking about how the Lord led us in this particular situation because we had a hard time in the context of our local church. What I'm going to share today is really deeply personal, and I don't want to get into too many specifics. Uh, in part, I don't want to reveal too much about the people that were involved, but also the specifics don't really matter because what we went through is not uncommon. Uh, many people that we know have been offended in the context of a local congregation. Now, I want to say again that my podcasts, these talks, are for believers. It's for people who are following Jesus and want to know him better. And it's my hope that what I share is an encouragement. And I know that some people listening, or perhaps quite a few listening, have been offended or hurt in the context of a relationship within their church. It's not uncommon. Now, hardships can come from health issues or finances or situations at work or at school. The list goes on because hard things happen in every area of life. And one place where we can be deeply hurt is in the church. Great pain can come from broken relationships in the church and also in our families. And it's not a surprise that we would have heartache as a result of broken relationships in church and family because it's those relationships where we're the most emotionally and spiritually exposed. In our church relationships, we can just really be hurt deeply because we desire for unity, we're working for unity, and then when, when disagreement comes up or when somebody in church really does treat us badly, it's not just a matter of disagreeing on something, it's they, they actually treat us very badly. It can really, really hurt. And for me and Olga in particular, it's very painful because we are so committed to relationships. And we got hurt. Now, I do want to say the scriptures don't talk a lot about feelings. <laughs> the Lord doesn't want us led by feelings. If my being a Christian depended on my feelings, I heard a pastor say every Monday morning he'd be an atheist. It's because Monday mornings are hard sometimes. <laughs> and if we're led by our feelings, our emotions, if we're grumpy, well, that can't define our relationship with the Lord. So the scriptures don't talk a lot about feelings, and I want to be very careful not to encourage anyone to be led by their feelings. I would say that in this case, my feelings <laughs> led me to the Lord, because as I said earlier, I really needed a shepherd. However, in the scriptures, we do know that relationships have been broken within the church from the very beginning. In the New Testament writings, we see examples of broken relationships. And people in the Bible get offended, and they get bitter. So we see examples of that. And the Bible also gives teachings for people who are offended and bitter. What are the ways to respond to those things? I'll talk about some of the ways God 
led me in that. But before I get too much into this, how we found peace in Christ when our brothers and sisters offended us, I want to go back a little bit and just quickly go through what I spoke about in the last talk. And if you haven't heard that, I really encourage you to listen to it. I think it can be helpful. The first thing that the Lord said to me as we found ourselves in this really raw situation emotionally, where all these relationships that we thought were so permanent and long-lasting turned out not to be, and not at our own choosing. Um, I will say that, and I'm being hesitant here, you know, I've started this talk a couple of times now, not quite sure how to talk about it, so I will return to the way that I originally thought of this podcast would be as if I were sitting with you, maybe at a cafe, at a table, or um, just having a talk in an office. It's not me talking to a lot of people, it's me talking to you. I will say that in our situation, we were subjected to false accusations, and there was malicious gossip, and there was a breaking of the relationships in such a way that we were not welcome to defend ourselves. The people involved, who are dear friends of ours for many years, didn't want to talk to us. They had certain ideas about us that were false, really, truly, demonstrably untrue, and they didn't want to talk about it with us. They just wanted to tell us their view of things and break that relationship. And they didn't give us enough time. There's a few things I learned. Maybe I'll have another talk about lessons that I really learned from all of this, but right now I'm talking about how the Lord led us through that time. So the first word that God said to me as I sat at this desk with a piece of paper and a pen is Psalm 18, the very beginning of Psalm 18. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. I didn't mention it last time, but this word horn refers to strength. So the scripture here says, he is my shield and he is the strength of my salvation, my stronghold. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. This is verse 3. And I am saved from my enemies. God alone is my rock and my refuge. So I had found myself in a situation, having been a member of this church for many, many years, and having these good, close relationships, I found myself really depending on those relationships in part more than, not more than, but quite a bit. And I had let some of these relationships or my sense of contentment be in those relationships rather than in the Lord, if that makes any sense. And as I mentioned earlier, it's his kindness to remove any other foundation of our life. We really have to stand on Jesus. He is the cornerstone. And we have to stand on him, not on these other relationships. It may be confusing to you, but the context is that several years ago we had to go to the United States for quite a few months for a couple of years in a row because we were getting Olga's uh, citizenship. And in order to do that, we physically had to be in the United States for a while. 
we were also at the time were getting Valerie citizenship, but that was a little bit different circumstance. But it worked out really well since we legally had to be in the United States as we got Olga's citizenship. That was the time when my mother's health was failing, and so we had a lot of time with her in her last couple of years. But as a result, we were not in Russia that much, and we returned home after uh, maybe a six-month stay at that point in America. And when we came home, we found, through these circumstances, that our local church had changed quite a bit in their view towards us. So there had been an extended separation, and things had happened that we were unaware of. And when we came to Russia, we were pretty shocked by what was presented to us. So that's how it happened that we were caught off guard. But I also know, I just actually had a conversation recently with a missionary who, and boy, this happens so often. They get to the field, and then the relationships with other believers in the field go sour, and it just can ruin so much. So back to what the Lord said in Psalm 18, he led me to that immediately because he was saying to me, that he is my strength, that he is the strength of my salvation. He is my stronghold. He is my rock. He is my fortress. He is solid and unchanging. That's the very first thing. And I want to encourage you. I really do. I've had this conversation with quite a few people. They get shocked by some change, and often it's relational, where offense is given and bitterness can creep in. And people just try to find something to hold on to. But Jesus is the one we have to hold on to, nothing else. Everything else is shifting sand, as the old hymn says. Now, the other thing, and I'll just quickly go through this, is that if this is happening to you, something like this is happening to you, that you're going through a hardship, really, of any kind, it's because God is allowing it to happen and because he trusts you to get through it with him. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when we go through these hard times, temptations come up, but he will give you a way out. That's his promise. And God trusts you to get through this, whatever the circumstance, whatever the hardship, no matter how difficult it is. Some hardships seem bearable, but other ones can just be overwhelming. We must have his strength and his wisdom or we will fail. But if you're going through something hard, it's because he's allowing it to happen and he knows that you can get through it. So take heart. Well, Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. The Lord also led me to this healthy and mature prayer Lord, help me walk through this well as a Christian so I can help others who later walk the same path. That has been so helpful to me and to others I've shared it with. Don't try to avoid the problem and then be a Christian. Don't try to go through this hardship alone, like to gut it out and then walk with Jesus. Go through this hard time with the Lord, following the shepherd's voice. Psalm 23 says that he leads the sheep through the valley of the shadow of death. There are hard times where it's so dark that we really can't see the path. But there are green pastures and still waters ahead. Another thing that the Lord 
led me in was the understanding of him being a shepherd. I called out to him. I said, I need a shepherd. And in John chapter 10, Jesus talks about how he shepherds his people, and he calls his sheep by name. We are individuals in a group, but he speaks to us by name. And the scripture says that we should do what he says. Once the shepherd calls us, we need to follow him and do what he says, actually move. And I did speak with somebody who was going through a hard time, had been shocked by how hard things were, and they felt kind of frozen, like stuck. What do I do? Where do I go? Well, that's where we really need a shepherd. It's like, we got to get up and move. But so often we're like, what do we do? Where do I go? What, what should I be doing right now? How do I conduct myself? And that's when we really need to follow the shepherd. So now I get to the second part of this talk, some things that the Lord led me through when we were offended by brothers and sisters in the church. And again, great pain can come from broken relationships in churches. And again, it's not a surprise that we would have a particularly deep heartache within the context of a local church because we are so emotionally and spiritually exposed. We open ourselves up in those church relationships. And when people are people, uh, we can really get hurt because we are very unguarded in many ways. We're vulnerable. Broken relationships within the church have been happening from the beginning. In Acts chapter 15, there's a pretty famous one. And I'll read what the scriptures say about this broken relationship. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Well, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with him. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So here's an example. This is Acts chapter 15, where Paul and Barnabas have a really sharp disagreement, so much so that they choose to not continue in ministry together. They go separate directions. We really don't know what the feelings were associated with this, but it must have been pretty hard because they had been so close. And now they have a sharp disagreement about something, and they go in different directions. Now, I do want to say that Paul was later reconciled to Barnabas and to John Mark. And we see that in other letters of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Colossians chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Philemon verse 24. Those scriptures show us that the relationships were reconciled, but they did have a sharp disagreement. And sometimes it happens within the context of ministry that we'll have such sharp disagreements that we go in different directions. There's a parting. We can still have love for one another, but um, it just may be such that we can't continue walking in ministry with these other people. In 
3 John, verse 9, uh, read something. I might have mentioned this earlier. I don't remember, but I've been talking to people about this and thought about it quite a bit recently. The Apostle John is writing to his friend Gaius, I think was who this was written to. And John writes in verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, gossiping maliciously about us. Not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. And he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. (laughs) You know, every time I read that, it's just amazing. This is in the early church that there's a pastor, Diotrephes, who loves to be first. He loves to put himself first. And as a result of that, he won't have anything to do with John. (laughs) This is the Apostle John, the one who was so close to Jesus himself. And here's a pastor who loves to be first and won't have fellowship with John. And there's malicious gossip about John. Diotrephes is gossiping maliciously about the Apostle John. And he won't welcome people that John sends to the church. And anyone in the church who wanted to welcome people from John, he would kick them out of the church. Well, how confusing that must have been for those people. How hurtful, painful, how offensive it is. And it's because diatrophy wants to be first. Now, I think it's very interesting that John is the one who puts his finger on loving to be first because that was an issue for John when he was a younger man. He wanted to be first. He wanted to have a place of honor next to Jesus. And you remember Jesus said, anyone who wants to be first has got to be last and the servant of all. So John really understood this desire to be first. And here's a pastor, Diotrephes, who loves to be first. And honestly, in my experience with church splits and when brothers offend other brothers, often it's this issue. Someone wants to dominate. Someone wants to be first. And because of that, they will not allow anyone else to challenge their perceived authority. I've seen that happen. I've experienced that multiple times. It's been in the church from the very beginning. Someone wants to be first, and that means everybody else has to agree with that position of authority or leave. And one of the things here that we see, which also happens in these situations pretty regularly, is that there's gossip, and it's malicious. And I have been subject to that uh, several times in my life here in Russia, in partnering with other ministries, and also within the local church, that, you know, gossip is sweet, (laughs) It tastes good. People love to gossip. And I've heard the definition of gossip being when you talk about someone, but you're not part of the problem or part of the solution. You're just talking about somebody else's difficulties. In my case, there was malicious gossip. And I tell you what, if you gossip about someone else, it'll probably get back to them. And that's what happened with me. Some people were saying things that were not true to friends of friends, and it worked its way back to me. 
And you say, well, that's just malicious. I'll talk about this a little bit later, how to respond to that. But here I just want to say it does happen. In the scriptures, we see examples of sharp disagreements, so sharp that uh, relationships are broken in a way. You can't continue living and working together in ministry. You've got to go different directions. And there is also malicious gossip and people who love to be first, and they'll kick people out of churches because of their pride and arrogance. It's really something. So this is how the Lord spoke to me as I went through this time of really being deeply offended by brothers and sisters. And one of the first things that came to me was through a friend of mine who is a missionary in Romania. He's a British fellow that's been living there for many years, married a Romanian. They have a really nice daughter who's a good friend of our daughter. And as I was going through this, he mentioned to me Proverbs 19.11. And this proverb was such a help. And as David, this missionary and pastor in Romania, shared with me, Proverbs 19.11, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. I'll read that again. Proverbs 19.11, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. That's one of the things that David shared with me. I sent him an email as I was going through all of this, and he wrote back, and he had told me this before, but I'd forgotten about it, and so he mentioned it again, that when they were building a team, a leadership team, many, many years ago, this was one of the key verses for their building of their leadership team. He, they all said to one another, look, we're human, we're going to hurt each other, but let's commit to overlooking the offense that we will give to one another in the future. And I thought that was really wise because we know that we're going to fail or mess up, but let's overlook the offense. Well, I really had to think about this. What does it mean to overlook an offense? At first, when I thought about it, I thought it meant to ignore it, like just ignore this offense. But that's not what it says. It says to overlook the offense. And I took this kind of literally it does carry with it this idea of looking past something. So I had this offense that had been given to me and my wife, and it's seriously offensive. It really was offensive. And the Lord was telling me through this scripture and through this wise counsel from my friend to overlook that offense, to look beyond the offense. And as I started putting that into practice, praying about it, Lord, how do you do this? What does it mean to overlook an offense? It made me, well, the image that I have is that there's this big offense. It really is a, a real issue. And it seems to take up all of my field of view because it's such a big issue and it hurts so much. And I want to make things right immediately. And yet it's not really being availed to me to work through it with these other people. The Lord was calling me to overlook it, like almost stand up on my tiptoes and look over the offense. The offense is there in front of me, and I just raise my view, and I look up and over it and beyond it. And this is what the Lord was showing me in that. My brothers and sisters here who hurt us, offended us, and some who were gossiping about us, I believe they are followers of Jesus. 
clearly. And the Lord is going to continue to shepherd them and lead them and help them in their walk with him. And at some point in the future, we are going to be together in that new earth. We are going to be together and everything will be perfectly right. The Lord is going to set things right in the future. As I overlook or I look past this offense, I know God's going to make it all right. The wickedness that's in my heart and the wickedness that's in their heart, that's all going to be erased. And we're going to be good. Everything's going to be good in the future. When I overlook this offense, I, I know the Lord's going to make it right. And any part that I had in these problems, he's going to clean that up in me and the same for them. And when I overlook this offense, I say, okay, it's good. There's a glorious future of unpolluted fellowship that will be ours. And we've got to overlook this offense. And so what the Lord was saying to me is act that way now. Act in the full knowledge that he is going to make everything right. And even though this offense is huge and dominant at the moment, we need to look past it, just as he does. And if we'll abide in him, he will continue to work out the things that he's doing in us. He will continue to do that. We're going to be together, me and the brothers and sisters who are hurting me. That's what I was thinking. We're going to be together in heaven. We're going to be together. It's all going to be good. Now, this leads me to some other things that were said to us through wise counsel. One of the youth pastors from my wife's early days in church was a great help to us. I'll tell you one thing that I've come away from these kinds of situations is the fact that we can come out of this and say, you know, I never want to do to other people what they just did to me. That is a really good lesson to learn in a time of hardship when brothers and sisters in the church offend us. One real good lesson is I don't ever want to say to someone else what was just said to me. I do not want to put somebody in the position I'm in now. And that's a really good lesson to learn. And the only way you can learn that lesson is to be in one of those situations. The reason I mention it is because these friends of ours, old friends of ours, folks that had been pastoring Olga before I knew her, They were in a hard situation in a local congregation, and there was a sharp disagreement. And the leadership of the church said to them, we can do what the Bible says, or we can tell you to leave, and we're going to tell you to leave the church. They actually said that we can do what the Bible says, or we can just tell you to leave, and we're going to tell you to leave. Isn't that something? (laughs) That's really terrible. I'm sorry I'm laughing. I'm thinking about doing a podcast called Missionary Stories and talking about people that are involved in missions, locals and foreigners. And some of these stories are really remarkable. But that's what a local congregation said to them, the leadership of a local church. So anyway, they learned a lot through uh, the hard things that they've gone through, misunderstandings and things like that. So this lesson is fight against bitterness and do not let offense take root. Boy, this is a big lesson for me. The Lord was telling me to overlook this offense and to fight against bitterness and don't let offense take root. And this is where a couple of things that Olga's youth pastors from long ago said. One is, and I'll quote, 
offense keeps you in this mess. That is so wise. If we take offense and let it take root, it just keeps us in it. Boy, we just get bogged down. And another thing that this youth pastor said, offenses are going to come, but do not let them into your heart. I'll say it to you. I'll say it again. Offenses are going to come, but do not let them into your heart. Don't let them take root. And in Hebrews 12, we see something that's familiar to most of us, I think. Verse 15 of Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That is really good advice. (laughs) Boy, if people in the churches would follow that advice, how much better things would be. We don't want to miss the grace of God. Remember, grace is unmerited favor. Well, it's impossible to earn God's grace because it's a gift. And we don't want to miss that gift, that grace of God. Grace is unmerited favor. That's one definition. But another definition is that grace is a, is a power that God gives us. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. But there's power in grace to get through things. And the second part of this verse is, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. And when someone offends us, it is so easy to let bitterness take root. Offense keeps us in the mess. Offenses are going to come, but we should not let them into our heart. And that's what the Lord was saying to me. I really had a reason to be angry. But God was saying, do not let bitterness take root. Don't be bitter. Boy, that's just so helpful to me. Offenses are going to come, but we should not let them take root in our heart and cause bitterness. We should not miss the grace of God. I didn't really have anything in my notes about this next thing I'm going to share, but I feel like I should. And I mentioned it a little bit earlier. When people gossip, it often works its way back to the person that they're gossiping about. And I learned this earlier on in my walk here. There was a situation where some people were gossiping about us and we heard about it and it was malicious. It was kind of destructive. They were trying to tear us down. And I realized that if I was hearing what they were saying about me, they would likely hear what I was going to be saying about them. And I was very much convicted that I should only let good things come out of my mouth. That if someone were to share with these other people that were gossiping about me, if they were to share what I was saying, that these gossipers would only hear good things. You know, somebody would say to them, well, Mike is saying good things about you and he wants the best for you. And I hope that I'm doing something similar here as I talk about how people offended us, though you don't know them, whoever's listening to this likely won't know the people that offended us. I really pray God's blessing on them, and I know that everything's going to be fine. Pray that they'll continue walking with the Lord. I just realize that we're all human. We all fail, and I know I've hurt people. Matter of fact, some people listening to this may have been hurt by me, and I may not have been aware of it. So we need to really be careful with what we say 
when we're processing all this with other people. We shouldn't gossip about it. We shouldn't talk to other people about these situations if those other people are not a part of the problem or part of the solution. This comes into the next thing on my notes. We need to take our thoughts captive to Christ. And we need to speak in such a way, communicate those thoughts in such a way, that they'll always be seasoned with grace and hope, even when we're really, really hurting. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And this was something the Lord was speaking to me as I went through this process of facing the offense that we were being given. He was telling me, you need to take every thought captive. He was telling me, don't respond as the world responds. Take thoughts captive to Christ. Destroy those strongholds and these ungodly forces that can grab our hearts. Don't let them in. Take those thoughts captive. Now, I have this image, I guess maybe because I lived in Texas a long time and had cowboy friends, but to take a thought captive to Christ, I have this image of, you know, in the movies when a when a cowboy is lassoing or roping a cow, the cow's running away and he throws this rope and it snugs up over the horns and he stops the cow. Well, that's what it is for me. If my thoughts start running away with me, I need to rope those thoughts and pull them back in. Don't let them just run away wild. And one thing that happens to me, and I know this also happens to Olga because we've talked about it, we can start running conversations in our mind with these people who have offended us. Oh, I, they would say this, and I would say this, and then suddenly there's this argument in our mind between ourselves and this imaginary version of the other person. That's not what that person would really say. It's what we think they would say. And to me, that's an example of a thought that's just out of control, and it needs to be obedient to Christ. I need to rope it in. I need to rope in this thought and not let these false conversations keep going because they're actually not helpful at all. They're not true. So that's a circumstance where I'm putting into practice the scripture from 2 Corinthians that I need to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Jesus himself. So don't let those things take root. Don't let that bitterness take root. Offense is going to come, but don't let them into your heart. Take those thoughts captive to Christ. Don't let your thoughts and your emotions run away with you. That's what God was saying to me. And that's, <laughs> that's maturity. Childishness is when we just let those emotions dominate and we don't control our tongues and kids will throw fits. And certainly adults can throw fits. I've seen it happen. <laughs> oh my, we need to be really careful. The next thing that was really helpful also was this familiar scripture from 1 Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love is not rude. It's not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. And the Lord was calling me to love these people, to really love them. Not to love myself, but to love them. And he was calling me to be patient and kind, not proud. And here it says, love is not easily angered. And of course, anger is an issue that comes up. It's an emotion that arises pretty swiftly in these times of being offended. And here's one that the Lord brought to my mind as I was going into a meeting with people to talk through things, folks that were saying these wrong things about us. It says, love keeps no record of wrongs. In this particular situation, this is how the Lord worked this out. I don't give this advice to everybody, but this is an application of that scripture. Love keeps no record of wrongs. As I was going into this meeting, I had a list. I had written down a list of particular issues that needed to be addressed, offenses that had been given, things that I was quite confident needed to be talked about. And as I was going into that meeting, the Lord brought the scripture to mind, love keeps no record of wrongs. And here I had made a list of wrongs. I had a record of wrongs. <laughs> and I was going to go in and confront these people with it. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't talk about that list. This is not the time in this meeting to talk about this record of wrongs. And boy, that was really wise because in the meeting, it became clear that we were in really different places in this process. And if I had just come in with accusations against my brothers and sisters, that whole meeting would have blown up terribly. That was God's kindness to say, uh, just don't pull that record of wrongs out of your pocket in this meeting. Listen more than you talk. That's what the Spirit was saying in, in that meeting. There are times when we do need to talk through things, but still, we shouldn't keep a record of these wrongs. It's so easy after a decade or more to go back through this list of things that have been done to us and the wrongs that have happened, and we just got to let that stuff go. Also, the scripture says that love always perseveres, and even though I was sad and hurt, it was still the Lord's will for me to press on, keep working through it as much as we could. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So I went into this meeting with a list of wrongs, and the Lord was saying, don't pull that out. So this does bring up a lesson that I've learned over the years, and I'll encourage you with it. When you're going into meetings, and it can be any circumstance at all, but particularly in ministry, if you're going to counsel with somebody or confront somebody, talk through things, if it's going to be kind of a serious discussion, really any time, I pray before I go into those meetings, Lord, how do you want me to conduct myself in this meeting? What's my role here as I talk to this person? How do you want me to conduct myself? And often the answer will be something along the lines of, listen more than you speak, or now's the time for you to take initiative in talking. Sometimes the Lord will tell me what not to say. Uh, in a meeting that's coming up, I'll get just a sense in my spirit that I need to avoid certain things because God knows that other person better than I do, of course, and he knows what's going to be the best way forward. Sometimes he'll tell me not to fight back, not to defend myself, but just to take it and listen. So let the Lord be the shepherd of your meetings with other people. And in this case that I just mentioned, the Lord 
prompted me to keep no record of wrongs in that meeting. Now, this brings me to something else that was really helpful and just really good. I've mentioned him before, an English pastor named David Pawson, and he recently passed away earlier this year. And in the future, when I talk about covenants, I'm going to use his teaching a lot. And I know I keep telling you I'm going to talk about covenants at some point, but I will, I promise. But David Pawson, I really like his teaching. And years ago, he was being slandered, attacked by other Christians, and they were saying bad things about him and his ministry. We know that that happens, and that happened with the Apostle Paul, even. David Pawson, being English, said that they were being very naughty. (laughs) And it was such the case that he actually had other churches calling him and telling him that they didn't want him to come speak at their church anymore. It was affecting ministry, and it was personal slander. They were saying things that were not true about him. And he was indignantly praying about this one time, complaining about this malicious gossip and the attack against him. And he was asking the Lord to save him from the lies and the slander that was going on. And he felt the Lord say, the worst they can say about you is not as bad as the truth. And then he said he laughed out loud. (laughs) And actually he wrote an autobiography and the name of it was Not As Bad As The Truth. That's what the Lord said. The worst that they can say about you is not as bad as the truth. He went in and told his wife, and then she laughed out loud. And when I heard him tell that story, I laughed. (laughs) And that's so true of our situation where we were being offended. You know, I have wickedness in me. It's still there. And I should not try to vindicate myself or fight to prove that I am better than any other person. The worst that they can say about me is not as bad as the truth. I'm not better than anyone. My own righteousness is filthy rags. I have hurt others, and I am no better. And that gave me freedom to know that even though people were saying bad things about me, it's really not as bad as the truth. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. There's so much freedom in being able to laugh at that. And it also gave me the ability to not let offense take root. I know that I've hurt other people. And I know that I am no better than the other people in this circumstance. And again, my own righteousness, it's filthy rags to the Lord. And so I shouldn't try to vindicate myself or fight to show that I'm the winner. That's just not how the Lord wanted me to respond in this situation. God bless those people who were saying things against us. The Lord tells us to love others, to do to others as we would have them do to us. And if I want these people to speak well of me and not gossip about me, then that's the way I should treat them. Speak well of them and not gossip about them. And that's where love comes into play. I should treat them the way I want them to treat me. And I will say that if the world followed that one piece of teaching of Jesus, the world would be so great if we really did treat others the way that we want them to treat us, and particularly in a situation where somebody's offending us. I'll also say, though, sometimes the application of that is that I want people to be honest with me, and so I need to be honest with them, even if they're not being honest, or if they don't want to bring things out into the light, 
one way that I can do to them what I'd like them to do to me is to just start talking about things honestly and shed light on things. Got to be done in love, can't be done in accusation. We are called, we are taught, we are commanded to bless those who curse us. We have to bless those who curse us. And we need to love our enemy. Which, actually, now that I look at my notes, brings me to the next thing and the final point that I'll make in this talk. I've been in different places in the world, and a couple of times I've heard it said, this actual word, the enemy church, that there have been teachings from pulpits that another church is the enemy. This is not really something the Lord was teaching me in this time of hardship that we were facing when we were being offended. But it comes into play, this idea that this other person is our enemy, this this other group of believers is an enemy, and there's an enemy church, and this should not be. The Lord loves his bride. God loves his church, and he is constantly at work in his people. And we should entrust everyone to him to pray for them, to be blessed and happy. I know that in our circumstance, some of the leaders were gossiping maliciously and treating us, I think, in a an unfair way. But most of the people in that fellowship were didn't know about it or were confused by what was happening. And it's not that they're our enemy, that we should tear them down. God loves them so much. Now, we did see earlier an example with John. He said that this pastor, Diotrephes, was gossiping maliciously. And John said, I'm going to call attention to what he's doing. When I come there, I'm going to point that out. And that's all right. It's a, I mean, it's good, obviously, to confront people, but we just shouldn't see other believers as our enemies. And even if we do, we need to bless our enemies, not try to tear them down. So that's something that I try to stand on, to presume the best about these other believers, know that I'm no better than them, and, that I'm, that, and know that I've surely hurt other people. God loves his church. He loves his bride. And I am confident that once he begins a good work, he's going to continue that good work. Well, next time, I'll talk more about the shepherd's voice, how he led us, different lessons that he was teaching us through this time of hardship of being offended, how to follow the shepherd's voice and how to deal with hardship and how to guard the tongue. God's way of approaching hardship. I'll talk more about that next time. And until then, my friends, I do pray that God will continue to show you his word and his ways, because as we walk with him in his ways, we do find peace for our souls. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples, Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all. Thank you.